0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Misfit with your host, me, Chloe Hilliard. Before I even get started, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who are liking and sharing and reposting this little baby of mine. Anyway, today's guest is Khalil Rahman, a New York native and fellow comedian, and we're talking about the importance of a good do rag, why step parents may be evil, and how therapy can change your life. You're listening to Social Misfit. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Social Misfit. I'm your host Chloe Hilliard, and like every episode, I bring on the show someone who I admire or I find funny, entertaining, um, or who I want to get to know a little bit better based on their social media posts. And today we're joined by comedian and amazing show producer. This man has so many shows. Oh, all over the city, ladies and gentlemen. Get up for Khalid Ramon. Hello,
1: hello, hello, hello. Happy to be here. Thanks How for having me. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so good.
0: You're such a Brooklyn knight. He I rode love it his here. bike over here. It's cold as a penguin's nut.
1: It is very cold, but I had to do it. It's the only way to get around. I would have really? had to take like three buses to get here.
0: Oh, so you purposely rode your bike because oh, yeah. of where I live. Oh yeah.
1: We both live in Brooklyn, by the
0: way. I just want, don't make it seem like more That life. can
1: still be a long distance situation.
0: Okay, would you date a girl that lives on this side of town?
1: I have recently. And And it was a struggle. (laughs) It is over. It is now over. She is no more. She lived too far away. (laughs) That's terrible. That is trifling. (laughs) I like no. I mean, the distance wasn't that big an issue, but it would have become an issue once it got a little bit colder. Because you
0: would still be trying to ride your bike over here. Well,
1: it would have been it always I've had this happen before where it becomes a thing where it's like, how come you don't why don't you come over now? Why don't you come over? And we both ride bikes, so it's like who's gonna be freezing?
0: We I have me and my roommate both have bikes. Um I just started riding. Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy it a lot. I only do it for exercise. I don't do it for transportation yet. I haven't gotten to that point where I feel comfortable like not being sweaty. I don't when you Mm -hmm. go somewhere.
1: Oh, whoa. Yeah. See that's the thing. I make the exception for when there's like a um, if I'm on a like a going to the club I don't go to the club very often. I'm old I don't stuff. know why you said, <laughs> I'm very why old. Did you even what am I saying go to the club? I haven't been to a club in years. The, the way you said it that way made it be no. When I go you know. to the club <laughs> I don't go to the I don't even know what club there is to go to, no. Um, when I like go out like for dinner or something like that. Uh, I'll probably, if I mean, I try to keep it very, very local to where to where I <laughs> you live. I'm are very man lazy. Convenience. No, if it, if it's not near a major like subway or, or train, I don't and really go there. But um, I will try to take like a take an Uber or something if I'm going to somewhere that's like a little bit.
0: So ladies, hear it here first. If you want to date this man, you better have an Uber account. That's right. Or an unlimited metro car. Or you better be in my not... vicinity.
1: Oh, you better be God. on Carroll Street. That's where <laughs> that you is need to be. terrible. <laughs>
0: Well, Colleen, you are a native New Yorker, so can you please read us your very New York centric post? Yes, for my this very episode. New
1: York centric post. This was an oldie, uh, well, this is just harkening back to good old times growing up. Uh, so uh, this was from, I guess, a couple months ago. I posted a picture of a blonde white lady in a do rag from an ad that was, I guess, like part of like a high fashion ad. Um, because apparently do rags are now high fashion yes. uh, for Cultural white ladies as well. Yes, that they are appropriating the do rag, and I uh, the caption was I'll never forget my first do rag, Brooklyn, 1989. I wanted waves because I wasn't have much having much success with the shorties, and the bullies in my neighborhood said I was mad corny Steve Urkel looking motherfucker. It was hurtful. Enter the do rag for the low low price of three dollars. I was in business. <laughs> All the shorties took notice. All the mean kids from St. Mark's Place finally accepted me. Thanks, Durag. And then I have some annotations. Uh, I stepped my hand-holding game way up. And then the second annotation was, Robbed me and called me gay slurs slightly less frequently. Hashtag brust. (laughs) So that was... (laughs) 1989. That was a true story from 1989. How old were you in 1989? Oh, man. I am 39 now. So, man, I was... Man, I'm not... Don't... Doing I'm not... I'm <laughs> terrible.
0: I am terrible with math. Yeah, but I'll I was born in 77. You the, you the, I, was, I was 12. I'll give you the Jeopardy music 12, while we figure that out.
1: I was 12 in 1989. Growing up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn.
0: I'm double checking that. We're yeah. There, I, did, I did something until that is it's exactly how old I was.
1: Cause I was born in 12. 1977.
0: Yep. People don't realize... And I talk about this... With so few people, because there are not that many Native New Yorkers here. Yep. People don't realize how treacherous New York City was.
1: Oh my God! It it was beyond dangerous. Like, growing up as a kid, I felt like I was um I felt like I was under siege. Yeah. When I was walking, just walking to school, mm-hmm. I remember times walking. I went to private school too. Oh, so that goodness. was I went to like old school private school where we wore uniforms. The,
0: it was it the burgundy and yellow. Gray slacks. Oh, gray slacks. Yellow oh. shirt,
1: plaid tie. Mm. Sometimes a jacket, green jacket. So you're sticking out, yeah. like you walking through. So neighborhood. you were
0: wearing your do rag with the uniform, or this was on the weekend nights? And oh, listen, you can this... no
1: no do rag. No, no, no. I went to a radical <laughs> black nationalist middle school. Oh, yeah, called Al Kareem over on Kingston and Park Place. So there was no do rag. This and this kind. was a Muslim school. It was founded by Muslims, but it was like open. To open everybody. to the public because yeah. you know money's money. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So you know there was no do rags. Is that school
0: still in business? It's still, lot, still around? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it still radical, or did it get gentrified?
1: I I don't think it's gentrified. Uh, okay. I think it'd be very difficult to gentrify this school. Yeah, okay. okay. Uh, all the everyone called uh, the teachers brother and sister. Mm. So my home teacher was Sister Jaja, uh-huh. and uh, we learned Black History every day. Uh, we learned karate it was karate was mandatory. They were like, you have to defend yourselves, brothers and sisters.
0: Shit, we need that now. Yes, young
1: brothers and sisters, Can I you need to sign defend up? yourselves in these streets. Uh, sad so note:
0: <laughs> I just signed. Well, not just signed up, but for the mm-hmm. past like couple weeks, I've been taking a self defense and boxing course, That's which fantastic. is actually it's actually taught in a
1: mosque. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm not telling people where it is because I yeah. want to keep it low-key, yep. but um, it definitely has opened my eyes to mm-hmm. n- letting me know physically I need to be more ready.
1: It's a great uh, workout, too. Ready And yep. it is.
0: Um, I burn so many calories. Mm-hmm. I'd be in there looking at my Fitbit, and my sensei be like, if you don't take that off and focus. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. And when he hits me, he actually, he hits me yeah. like with the pads and stuff. Yeah.
1: I would come home bruised up. Damn. It bruised up. They let us spar and it was it was rough. But it was good. It was good discipline. And uh it was a great school. But yeah, New York was it was rough. You know, it was it wasn't this thing where it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna go down to Whole Foods. It was really, really rough. Yeah. The subway was a danger zone.
0: The subway was I don't think people first of all, the subway now is probably four hundred times brighter. Like, brightly lit. Oh, yeah. Than when yeah, we yeah. were growing up. Mm-hmm. There was always a, a light that was out. It was always a corridor you didn't want to go down. There was always some man who just found a way to live in a subway station and just jerk off when you walk by. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it was like, oh, that's... On to- the Q train. It's to- <laughs> 3 o'clock T- T- every day. Tony's <laughs> over there. And, yep. All right. Keep your eyes low because he's going to load it off.
1: Yep. yep.
0: That is so interesting that your parents sent you to such a radical school. And it well,
1: was very important for me, though, because the schools, I mean, the public schools have been failing in yeah. New York City for a long time. And I went to. And they still are. And they, they still, still are. are. My, my, my alma
0: mater, my high school was just in the news because oh God, a student yeah. punched, no, actually beat down the principal because the principal yeah. asked him to take his headphones off.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my mom my mom taught at middle schools. She was a guidance counselor at PS316 right down the street from where I live. And um, it was rough. Her whole battle was just trying to get parents involved, trying to get parents to care about their kids and want more for their kids, trying to get administration to care. And it was difficult. So I was lucky. My, mom, my dad worked for the State Department, still does. Mm-hmm. And so they paid for half of my tuition. Mm. My mom and dad split the other half. Ah. So I was able to go to Al Kareem for middle school and then went to Berkeley Carroll and Park Slope for high school.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah,
1: and that's where, and where a lot of that stuff from that, that, from that uh, Facebook post came from was this feeling of just not fitting in. You yeah. know, it was so funny because when I, I watched when you were on last comic and you're mm-hmm. talking about being in amongst the Hasidim yeah. and being like, man, I'm the only one. I stand. I'm a tall black woman, and these are some different looking people. Yeah, and so that's different. that's kind of how I felt in my own neighborhood because yeah. I'm like the kid with the private school who had the the nerdy you know private school uniform on every day. And, man, we would get chased home from school sometimes. One time, me and my friend Sean got jumped by, like, a pack of kids coming out of the you park, can say pack, You could say pack of niggas. Oh, they were a pack, pack of niggas coming out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was bad. It was like, um, you know, in The Walking Dead, when sometimes they'll be walking along, and then they'll yeah. just look off in the distance, and they'll see yeah. just a pack of walkers <laughs> just, like, shuffling towards them. That's what it was like. We were like, oh, no. Oh, no. And they were coming so fast, and so many. I'm like, well, we just going to get robbed right now. Yeah. So we're just, yeah. like, stood there and just got robbed.
0: But, no, but you knew karate. You didn't.
1: I mean, karate's not going to help you against, like, 30 kids coming out of the I park. You know? know, if you got surrounded, it was bad. But that's how it was, man. New York was just dangerous. It felt really, really unsafe just to be a child in New York City. Which
0: is why when people complain about justification, I, a part of me is like, I hear what you're saying on the social and economic Mm -hmm. level but on a safety level and I don't want to credit that to white people moving in is why things got Mm -hmm. safer. I do think that way before white people moved in, you know, Mayor Dinkins and Giuliani even though I hate him to the fiber of my being. Yeah. Um. They're definitely putting parameters in place to make sure that the people that lived here were safer. Yeah. Um. But then you know, it, it also swings the pendulum swings looked, both ways. Because, a great cost too. I mean, yeah.
1: Giuliani came in. He was like, we're gonna beef up the police force mm-hmm. and do this broken windows police thing. Exactly. Stop and frisk and all these yeah. things. And yeah, the city got safer, but at the same time, the cops were out of control. Yeah. It, and shooting Negroes for no it, reason. Yeah. It pushed you know?
0: past the point of being yeah. for everybody's general safety. Mm-hmm. Like there was a point, probably about like. A good 10 years ago where they kind of be like, all right, we're good. We could stay right here. Yeah. But they kept pushing the needle, pushing the needle. And then that became excessive, which is interesting because I just, you know, there's a a case going on, a cop who killed a man two years ago and now it's going to trial. And so now the evidence is coming out. And they said that when he shot the black man in the face for no reason... That he was wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt underneath his uniform. I heard about this. Yeah, Yeah. and so now they're using it as evidence to be like, he's biased, he's racist, and that's why he's in. But the CIA told us Mm -hmm. ten years ago, beware of the KKK infiltrating the police force. Uh, Yes, yeah, because in politics,
1: and it's one of the few places where a white guy with not with not a ton of education can get a, a position of authority and a gun. And be able to harass black people if he's if he's a racist person. So and it's one of those things. where also like I mean, um, you're talking about that. I live right next door to a police station. So I live on I live on a street where there's a. Don't be telling people your I'm address. Not gonna tell my address. <laughs> but I live right near right near a police station. Yeah. And I walk past that that block where they park all their cars, and I look at their personal vehicles. Almost every single one has a make america great again sticker oh, on gosh. the bumper. Every and it's like how are we supposed to trust the police? How are we supposed to live in this country yeah. when this is who is policing us? Mm-hmm. People who actively believe and in white supremacy. And don't
0: live in the five boroughs. Nope, they
1: all live in they all live in Long Island. Yep. Some live in Jersey, and a West lot of live in yep. Staten Island. It's it's one of those things where it's like I don't know I don't know how we're going to we're gonna move forward with this with these well people. we
0: would need to i mean in New York City alone we would need to make sure that and i think in in there are some counties there are some police departments mm-hmm. where the chief is aware of this and they've enacted some things that make po- police officers more ingrained in the community sure and you you know you always see like on Instagram some random white cop who's dancing in the street or eating hot dogs with kids or shooting basketball. And and I get that the intention is pure, but the buffoonery of it is a little bit over the top. It's a bit much, yes. Because you're not really doing it. You're yeah. doing it for the public perception. Sure. I mean, if you do it every day, then fine. But mm-hmm. if you really hamming it up for cameras, just to like sure. prove a point, especially after somebody gets shot. Yes. And then you want to be like, see these cop killers and this is a good cop is, you know, a bit much. But um, I think in New York City, we have to address that as well. We just got a new mm-hmm. police chief. The last one just retired because he was being investigated. And now he works for a private sector <laughs> making millions. Yes. Um, yeah. But I think that our next mayor, because the one that we have now is a rap, he's so inefficient and just has gone back on everything. Came he in said with him. a lot of hope,
1: but uh, it's not going he, well. Let me
0: tell you something. So if you're not from New York City, our mayor is Mayor Bill de Blasio. And when he was campaigning, he was speaking in Spanish, mm-hmm. sign language, Ebonics, because he's married to a black woman with locks. His kids are mixed race. He was playing. You, you saw them kids every mm. chant. Once he got in office, you'd never see his wife. You'd never see his kids. You know when I knew it was over for him? Why?
1: During this campaign with Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. they had an event in Harlem, and I don't know whose dumbass idea this was, but they did a skit, <clears throat> and I'm calling it a skit because this was not a sketch. This was a skit, a comedic skit that some idiot wrote who didn't know what they were doing, and the, the the central crux, the big punchline was CPT. Ooh. Yeah. It was like Bill started talking, and Hillary came in a little later, and she was like, uh, well, you know I'm on CPT, and everyone was like- <laughs> Uh, what? What? <laughs> Someone wrote this for I them can't. to do. It was, it was, a, it was a very stilted dialogue. And it was yeah. like, this is not, and it's like, it's, it's one of those things very frustrating living here now, especially in my neighborhood, which is like the center of mm-hmm. gentrification. Gentrification is on steroids in Crown Heights. Yeah. Get, I mean, sure, it's happening down here, but. You're a little bit farther out. It no, is on I'm steroids. on the I'm on the edge of Bed Stuy, yeah. and
0: the reason why he says it's on steroids is because. The original white settlers are now being pushed out. Oh, yeah. by the new white the settlers. New one, yeah. And then you mm-hmm. get incidents like there was an incident that happened a couple years ago where this white guy was walking on the street and another white guy with a stroller hit him with the stroller and he was like, "I was here first. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I was. I
1: was. I have a joke about this, but it's happened. I was at a coffee shop. I was behind two white girls who obviously just moved here. I could tell by the way that, the way they were talking, the way they looked, and one of them said. This neighborhood used to be so cool until all these white people moved in. And I'm like, tell me about it. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, do you do you have a mirror? Like they're just looking at each other like, Yeah, this was it was so it was so cool, but now it's it's this whole thing where it's like it was authentic before, but now it's it's passe. And it's like, but this cause of you. Because we are yeah.
0: because we are their uh African safari.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah We are like
0: the white people who move into these black neighborhoods are the same white people who pay 50000 a 60000 $100,000 to go mm-hmm. to Africa and kill a, essentially sure. a caged wild animal. Mm-hmm. Take a picture and be like, look oh, look at the crazy shit I did. Sure. And then go right back home to their neighborhood like nothing happened.
1: It's interesting. I think it's very much the important part is coming in. Everyone has to live somewhere. And capitalism is garbage. So yeah. obviously people can get priced out of other neighborhoods. When those rents go up, they're gonna move farther in Brooklyn, just farther and farther east, until eventually they're gonna be over in the river, in the yeah. river. So I understand that, and like everyone, if you want to live in New York City, you have to live somewhere. But it's coming into these neighborhoods with respect and with the right intention. And I was talking to Mike to Mike Cannon about this because mm-hmm. he lives in Crown Heights, two blocks from where I grew up. <laughs> and I'm like, "You live there?" He's like, "Yeah, me and my girl have been here for like years now." And he's like, "But you can," he's like, "But I get along with everyone in my neighborhood because." People can tell I come in with the right intention. Yeah. I'm coming in a disrespectful way. Mm-hmm. It's like moving into a building and you, know, you bought a co-op in or you bought a condo in, and you know there's a, a drummer or or a uh, there's like a jazz drummer downstairs and he's been there for 40 years, but now that you live there, oh no no no, no. we're gonna yeah. have to have some rules about this. And that's yeah. what Spike Lee's father's going through, you yeah. know, with his with his new people in his building in Fort Greene. And it's one of those things where you just have to like accept. Some things about the neighborhood, the way it is, and also embrace those things or the people in the neighborhood, and be like, "You whack, you got to get yeah. out of this neighborhood." Yeah, and that's and that's that's one of the things. But even struggle. though
0: we say that they're whack, I mean, people of color really have never successfully pushed white people out of any neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It don't matter what we think we're gonna do to get that's them out. True. It doesn't. Ha- it doesn't work. True. We end up just getting more police called on us. Yeah. So if you be like, "I'm gonna I'm show you," I'm gonna play my music loud. Okay, you think so? <laughs> yeah, you, you go right on the head. Sure. They'll be there every day. Wow, it's funny interesting that your father worked for the State Department. Did yeah. they know that they were funding a uh, militant Afrocentric school when they was paying for? I having mean, I tuition? wish they did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, sure that would have
1: been very interesting in accounting. Yeah, but it was, it was, it was interesting. It was a real, I mean, it was a weird background because I came, I was in um, again like with that whole with that Facebook post. A lot of that was just me expressing. So many, so much frustration about how I just didn't fit in with, yeah. with my neighborhood, with my neighbors, my the, the so kids in my neighborhood. So tell me,
0: give us a little backstory. Like, where are you from? Where are your parents from? So I'm
1: from Crown Heights. Um, I moved there when I was seven because my, my my dad, my mom split up. My dad went over overseas to work at the State Department. My mom didn't want to do that, so she kept me here and she married my step my stepdad, mm-hmm. and he was in Brooklyn, had a brownstone. So we moved into Crown Heights, and I was there from the time I was seven until you know went off to of college, basically. Yeah. And uh in the middle, in the interim, in between there, for a couple of years, I went to live with my dad in Morocco for two oh. years, and that was like completely mind blowing. How Thanks old me. were you when you went to live? With I him? was nine till I was eleven. Really? Yeah. Is
0: that the photo of you carrying a little white baby? Yeah,
1: <laughs> with, with well, with, with me, this, <laughs> with your dad, yeah, me on my on dad's shoulders, shoulders. Mm-hmm. my cousins carrying a, oh, okay. a little white baby. Yeah, that was me with the long legs, my yeah. dad's shoulders. I look so much like my dad now. It's crazy. um We got the same hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am bald. For listen, the listeners can see. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting because, you know, I was there in Crown Heights for a couple of years with my dad, my stepdad, my mom, then I went to Morocco, came back and I was even more of an outsider. Some of this weird kid who was what living What made in you Africa. come
0: back? Uh,
1: my stepmother is, uh, is trash. <laughs> my uh, stepmother is hot girl. She's, she's the worst. Uh, she still is still married. Uh, no, my stepmom and my stepdad and now my ex-step parents because my parents came to their senses about five years ago at the same time and divorced them.
0: Are your parents back together? No. Oh, okay. No. no that <laughs> but, but they been do a...
1: have wonderful... My dad remarried in August. I went down to the wedding. Where uh, where's he live now? He lives in D.C. Still oh. working in the State Department. He's, yeah. like, he's retired from um, overseas mm-hmm. service. He's just doing at the State Department here mm-hmm. in, in D.C. And uh, my stepmom is wonderful. My new stepmom. She is great. I love her so much. Uh, she loves me having me come down there visit them. And then my step... Uh, my mom is retired to North Carolina, to Wake Forest five years ago. And she has a great uh, man friend. I call him a man friend because he's 70. He's not a boyfriend. Oh, see, let <laughs> yeah. yeah. me
0: tell you something, old, old man friends are the best. Yeah, I mean, friend. I'm not saying it personally, but when you see. <laughs> I was like, I would, never date a seven, nah, I would never date a seven year. That's older than my dad. That is old. Um, yeah. But but the way old people date, the mm-hmm. way old people date is so, it's like teenagers. Yep. Without like all the like horny hormone shit, they're, but they're like, practical, very practical. They're very practical. Yeah, like you, you say to your mom, like, "Hey, have you seen your man?" Friend, no, I only see him once every two weeks. That's enough. He lives in
1: South Carolina. <laughs> my, mom, he lives, my mom lives in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He lives in South Carolina. Is a pharmacist who owns a pharmacy. He's like, Am I How? "I'm not moving. I'm gonna see your mother every two weeks. How <laughs> and we take meet? trips. How did they meet? They met. They met on BlackPeopleMeet.com. Oh. Which God. I have now decided is the place for old black people to meet. Because I have never God. met anyone other than someone over the age of 55 who met on blackpeoplemeet.com. Yeah. And I think my, I'm pretty sure my dad and my mom and my stepmom met there too or met maybe on Match. Really? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. How is it old people having all the success online? I've tried Match and you know I it it did nothing.
1: their there, are kids and their grandkids are teaching them about the computer. Um. And they're like, let me get on this computer.
0: So t- who taught your dad how to get on?
1: Uh, I think my, my younger sister. Yeah, so he met uh he met my my stepmom. She's great. He's so happy. He's never been happier. I went down to the wedding in D.C. this summer. It's great.
0: How long did they date before they got married?
1: A year and a half. They always have something old people don't waste time. Oh, they don't wait until They're time. like, we literally don't have time. So let's not waste this time. Let's <laughs> get on it. What, what are we doing? You know what I mean? That, that's great. Wow. There's a lot of clarity in that too. This there like, is. are we compatible? No, yeah. keep it moving. Yes. Together forever, and that's yeah. how that's how it
0: does. And there's know. no, and oh I feel like old couples like that. There's no, there's no compromise.
1: No, no, they, they, they're set in their ways. They, <laughs> this is what it is. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah.
0: Wow. So you lived. In, so what was it like in Morocco? And why, I mean, we don't have to bash your ex stepmama, but like, how was? it? Would you have stayed if she? Possibly. Wasn't?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one day it was just explained to me that I was headed back to Brooklyn.
0: Oh, oh, wow! And, and it wasn't. There,
1: and it was, um, it was obvious. I mean, she, from the time she came into the picture, which was about a year earlier, it was very quick courtship. Um, oh, so you were there before? I was there while they met. Oh. Yeah. And my, my dad had a wonderful girlfriend when I first got there and they broke up and something happened. I don't know what happened. It was, didn't seem like it was broke up. But in, in hindsight, I was like, why don't you stay with this? The woman was gorgeous, first mm-hmm. of all. And second of all, more importantly, loved me. <laughs> big fan of your boy. Big fan. Like, yeah. big hugs. Oh, let me make you some cook. Let me make you some, some food. She was the best. She was Moroccan? She's Moroccan. Mm-hmm. Um, is and, bo- both
0: the women Moroccan? Yes. Uh-huh.
1: And um, the my future step, my stepmom, she just, from the start, was like, no. She would do this thing. This is amazing. I still haven't figured out a way to talk about this on stage, but I'm gonna. Yeah. She would do this thing. Where, so I only speak English. My dad and my stepmom spoke French, Arabic, and English. Mm-hmm. I would walk into a room, they'd be speaking English. She would look at me. Kind of like grin and start speaking Arabic. Oh. I'm like this motherfucker
0: here. <laughs> can you imagine doing that to a person? At nine, at and nine, you're and I'm, aware. Like,
1: I'm like I, I was nine, but I was like, oh, this is fucked up. Like Your this is not. dad didn't notice. Of course he did. I mean, it's and, and I would, I t- would, he just love does terrible things to people he's recently apologized to me for all that's good right before his wedding in the summer we had another heart we've had several heart-to-hearts to Mm -hmm. to rebuild our relationship over the years and we had like another out of nowhere he was just like you know i'm really sorry that i didn't stick up for you Mm -hmm. and and to make sure we stayed together and close as a family yeah when she came into the picture and i was like
0: what this is like
1: thirty years in the making this, yeah. this apology. And he
0: also he couldn't he didn't have that clarity until he was rid of her. He wouldn't have yes. been able to have Well, he's that. so
1: happy now and he sees and he also it's you can't help but notice the difference between how his new wife mm-hmm. and how she treated me and how she's embraced me into her family, yeah. whereas I was always other, always separate, always less than with the first wife. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's a that's a big deal. Like you can't you cannot, if you're a single parent, you cannot get with a person you who does not love children, and more specifically, your, your child. children, exactly. Because that is the most important mm-hmm. relationship. That should be the first primary, uh, you know.
0: But I think, I, think, I don't want to differentiate between men and women, but I do mm-hmm. think that a, a single parent, a woman, handles it a little bit differently than a man would. Because a man, I feel like a man still feels as though, okay, if... This new woman in my life doesn't like my child. He still has his mom. Hmm. Um, and a mother's love will never be a stepmom's Interesting. love. Interesting, so yeah. it's okay if she doesn't love him. Love him. His mm. mom loves him unconditionally. Wow. But I think if a woman is a single parent and a man comes into her life, especially if the child's father is not in the picture, she's like, "We going to figure this shit out." Hmm. I, I if you don't like my kids you will figure it out. I'd rather have a father figure in this child's life who may be a little shitty mm-hmm. than to
1: not. Did I think pe- that's what my mom thought for sure because my stepdad my stepdad was interesting though because he did something when he was courting my mom that he is, he did later on to my friends. So what he would do and that sounds weird. But <laughs> like your, to your female to your female friends? No, no. So he's he was um I thought he was like I came to came to realize he was like this super smooth con man socially so when he was courting my mom he was my best friend Mm -hmm. he was like you want to go to the mets game oh i got some candy you some baseball cards you want some this he was like he was about public perception oh the nicest he was so warm the second they got married he was like listen this is how it is like he he changed in a dime and he would do this when i brought my friends home from college in high school he would he would be so cool and funny i'd be like who is this motherfucker because this is not the person i live with every day he'd be telling jokes i'm like I did not realize <laughs> that my stepdad was Cliff Hoxtable. He was telling I – mean, my, my, my friends would leave, they would be completely fooled. They'd be like, yo, your stepdad is funny. Yo, he's like – how come you complain about him? He is great. What are you wow. talking – they would think I was crazy. Yeah, that I'm happens. like, no, no, no. You don't see how he is. Because the second y'all leave, he's back on this, like, my way or the highway dictator program. Mm. But when he's here, he's like – when y'all here, he's like, hey. But he was so different. And that's what he did – I figured out how he got my mom because he he fooled he fooled both of us. He fooled us into thinking he was one thing. The second it was official, he became completely different.
0: I think that's so interesting that people do that. I I think I mean it's a mindset. It's definitely a mindset because mm-hmm. I don't ever look at a situation and look at it like say if you and I were dating, I would never be like, as soon as he proposes, I'm shutting this shit down. Yeah, like it just I'm, that would never do that, even though. come into my mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. How long were they in their respective marriages before they? And why did it take so long?
1: Twenty plus years for both.
0: And they had kids, more kids, and yeah, I'm, oh, that's I'm, why. That's why.
1: Yes, very, very specifically. I, I'm one. I'm the oldest of six. Between and, both parents. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm just so it's me. I'm the only one for my mom, and my dad. Mm-hmm. Then my dad and my um stepmom had a daughter and a son, and they're in their twenties. Um, they live where they live in, they're in dc area now still
0: okay so that your ex stepmom moved to america
1: yeah uh-huh. and then um my mom and my stepdad had three daughters and they're all in a north carolina area near my mom got it one lives with her and two of the ones at duke um she's a grad student she's brilliant and then the other one is recently moved out and is um working in the area yeah, so that's yep. why
0: kids, man, kids fuck everything up.
1: People do this stay together for the kids stuff, and it's a bad idea. I was talking it's to someone today,
0: and it's interesting, and we, and I, we were talking about how how do we get to this point? We were talking about about the how the in this um, this election cycle, the Hispanic and the Latin voted Latino community, Hispanic community was greatly overlooked by both parties, and then and then and how the numbers are saying that the Latino numbers are rising above the black numbers and like population wise. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking to my friend and he was like, yeah, I don't really think they have more. I was like, hell yeah, they have way more numbers than us because Mm -hmm. they have way more kids. And then that led us into the conversation about how culturally Latinos, Hispanics have a much stronger sense of family and unity sure and they get married younger and they have a shit ton of kids and even if even though they're working under the table the father works and the wife may work but may not she takes care of all the kids Of course, he'll cheat on her at some point in the marriage. At some point, it's happening. But that's his his wife and his family is everything. And then you see them on the weekends playing volleyball, Mm -hmm. which they love. And on on the side with the stroller and the baby's wearing her best dress and her little frilly socks. And then I was like, how come we in the black community don't replicate that sense of family? Like, why do we not... Like why is it more conceivable to have a child in your 20s than it is to get married? Like we have children in our 20s and then get married at 38 40.
1: I think it is systematic oppression which feeds into it which is you have this mass incarceration mm-hmm. which breaks up families tremendously from the, at, at the think it's inception point. Yeah. You can't get married if you're in jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't get married and have your family together if you're in jail and yeah. that's a huge part so many brothers in trouble either in jail, in the system, on parole, which keeps people from doing what we're talking about, which is replicating this family structure. Um, and then there's also, I mean, we really want to get into it. It's, I think a lot of it is uh, PTSD. I think yeah. that most black people from mm-hmm. living in this racist-ass society yeah. have some mild form of PTSD Listen, I from dealing with it. these from <laughs> dealing with some of these racist ass white people and, and that is what Yeah, that's, that's micro racist and, and
0: and in full blown <laughs> racist and when I travel the country especially you know this year
1: you've seen it up close more I than I I see it up
0: close and I'm just telling you like when I saw Trump signs on people's yards mm-hmm. driving it just it just tightened my heart Like, I just got that, that like, oh, like, I just say, all right, I know that person doesn't like me or people like me. Yes. And then for white people to be like, that's not the case. But like, we know, we know, we know, which is interesting for you because you are also, are you? You're Muslim. Are you practicing Muslim? I don't. I don't practice. No, okay. I haven't been. But your name in a long time. makes everybody think you
1: practice. Yeah, it's I have okay the most Muslim Islam. name ever. My name is Khalid Abdurrahman. It's very Muslim. So
0: who's Muslim in your family? Both My parents, parents
1: both converted to Islam back in the '60s. They used to go see Malcolm X speak. That's how they met. NOI? Uh, no, they weren't a Nation. They were uh, oh. Sunni Muslims. But oh, But okay. that's how they met. They would go see watch Malcolm speak. He was so, you know, obviously charismatic yeah. and like talking and talking to speaking the message that people needed to hear. Yeah, and it was so important and they met that way and then they both converted to islam and then they both married people who were more devout muslims than they were and uh, the people they married were devout muslims but also very stern and just un- not loving mm-hmm. so that was like that that i think if i if i look back at why i never became very religious I just rejected whatever my stepdad and stepmom were about. Yeah, and the and Islam was a big part of that. So mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, they're with that? No, that's not for me because they were such negative influences in terms of like not extending love, mm-hmm. not being the you know." Do
0: you think that was their culture or their religion that taught them that?
1: They are both. Yeah, they are both brought up in weird circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, just, I feel like like in the, in Morocco where my stepmom's from, it's just a different. It's not. It's a different culture in terms of. Showing affection and how you raise it's just very different. And then my, um, my my stepdad, uh, his people, were, I think were from Cleveland, and you know again he's from, he's seventy something now, so he's from an older generation where mm-hmm. like I'm sure his dad was not this affectionate. Oh, yeah. Like the, back then, the dad's job was to be the boss and the provider, mm-hmm. and that's it. <laughs> it's like you know that I mean?
0: famous like that famous scene in fences yeah it's like do you like yes. me do i like yes. you yes i ain't got to you, like you, mm-hmm. yeah. you live In
1: my house yep mm-hmm. yes
0: that's exactly what it is and that's
1: and that's not enough yeah. you know and and people don't realize and so you get that and then you get this this societal situation where it's just we live in a racist ass place yeah and i think it's interesting now that I would, i've been joking about this a lot lately which is that It's been so funny watching this, um, in this campaign, watching on television every day, uh, white people, various white people discovering racism. Yeah. They're like, oh, Bob, (laughs) I went to a Trump rally and you would not believe the things they were saying. It was unbelievable. We've been complaining about this for hundreds of years. Welcome to America. But they're discovering it now because it's so out in their face now mm-hmm. and it's their neighbors and they're like, oh, you're a Trump supporter? Oh my, what does that mean? And then they're going and seeing the rallies and New York Times is putting videotape yeah. of the people at the rally and they're like, oh, this That's race, these black about? people might yeah. have been onto something. No, this racism is and this real. We know what's going on. It's crazy. It's like, but you know, they have to, it's almost like they have to see it for themselves yeah. and be affected by it to really admit mm-hmm. it's real, which is a crazy thing. It's nuts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's I, I really do feel like Mental health is the big thing that we just don't address. You so
0: know? Who, how did you cope with being bullied? Like mm-hmm. who helped? You? Like I was, I was bullied as a child. I was bullied because sure. um, I wasn't hip. <laughs> I sound like, oh, I wasn't hip. I wasn't cool. I wasn't cool. Hip either. I wasn't a cat daddy. Uh, I didn't I have the a, latest Jordache cool jeans. I didn't have the <laughs> British yo. Knight high tops. Uh, my Same mom thing. dressed me like regular this
1: same i mean here. i grew up just i just I had never no jordans. had nothing
0: never i you know i you know how old i was when i got my first pair of jordans 32
1: yeah i was probably <laughs> around the same age i had to buy them myself yeah
0: no all of my homeboys all all the crew that i roll with mm-hmm. in comedy they put money together because i used to let all of them sleep on my couch it mm-hmm. was like we should get her a gift and they were like we we'll nice. buy her a pair of jordans yeah i still mm-hmm. had their dog but they it's still in my hallway mm-hmm. um i might keep them just for like cinnamon value sure. but I never had Jordans. I got my first pair of Air Air Maxes when I was like a junior in high school. Wow. Like I just was not down with mm-hmm. the swag. Same here. And oh. so I got bullied tremendously plus I was overweight, but my mom was mm-hmm. the my mom was the soft one. She My dad is too but in a different way. Like mm-hmm. he he would talk about it, you know. Yep. Or joke about it, or be like, you know, just punch me in the face. I wouldn't be mad at you if they call mm-hmm. me and you had a fight. I'd be like, that's the way to go. Like, oh, he's wow. like that. But my mom was like, come here, baby. You know, give me a hug. Sure. Put, you know, put your head on my chest. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So, who consoled you when you were being bullied?
1: I internalized a lot of it mm-hmm. and didn't. I, w- I became kind of like not a loner. I had friends, but I, w- I would internalize. I would be sitting, I spent a lot of time in my mind yeah. and watching TV. TV was like my mm-hmm. biggest game. Oh, yeah. Me too. I watched about four hours of TV a night. Sometimes oh, yeah. Five. Oh, yeah. As soon as I, I came watch home from school. Time, then I watched Late Night. And I would do my homework right away after school. Watch all the prime time. I watched Doogie Howser, all my big shows. And then I would go to sleep. And I just kind of like escaped into that world. And it was, I, did ther- I did two years of therapy recently. I did mm-hmm. two years of therapy. Um, I did therapy last year and the year before that. So two years. And it helped me a lot. Yeah. I talked about a lot of these things. And someone you just have to talk to somebody who does not care about your own personal story. Yeah. Who's not connected. Who has no bias. And they just listen. And it's really, it's helpful. And I think, man, I would love it if there was some kind of program for just brothers and sisters to go to to talk about these racist as people <laughs> that we deal with every day. Seriously. We, no, I know we're serious, but you know what I, mean? like, I just love the tone. A, it
0: was very like, I really want us brothers and sisters just be able to get these white keys yes. out of our face. Yes, we need to We
1: need to have counseling to deal with this day to day racism because oh, I really I feel like it affects it affects the way we interact with each other. Yeah. It affects the way we're parenting our kids. Mm-hmm. When I see a single mom on the subway smacking her kids around, I'm I like, what did that woman go through? Yeah, What I did that would... woman go through that day? What racism and systematic oppression did she experience today, which made her displace this aggression mm-hmm. onto this child in public?
0: Also, but also when it comes to black women, you also know that they are also being
1: oppressed by black men. Yes.
0: So it's like, it's feel. What, and, uh, and what
1: is that brother bringing home yeah. to the house? Yeah. Yeah. To his family that's negative because of something. what he's going through. And it's, I mean, it's not I, like, you know.
0: I was on a train one day, and I really wanted to stop the situation. It was a, a black girl. I say girl, but maturity. She was probably, she was an adult, but maturity level, she was not an adult. She had a little boy. He might have been like four or five. Probably like at least five. And a white girl got on the train, white girl hipster got, it's all on the atrium. train, white girl hipster and her boyfriend are on the train. And I don't know how it came to be, but the little white boy, the white, no, not the little boy, I'm sorry, the white girl started talking to the boy. Like, hey, how are you? You know, you know like waving, you know sure. how you wave to a kid? And so he was like, oh, oh, <laughs> shit, she talking to me? Because of course his mom isn't talking to him. Yeah. She's on the phone, not paying attention. Sure. And so he, someone is actually engaging him and he, he just lights up. Yep. So she's talking to him and he starts talking to her. You know, she's sitting down. She's standing up holding a pole. And, then, you know, he, she, she can't really hear him because she's standing up. So he gets up and she leans down and he whispers in her ear, And she's like, oh, yeah. But as soon as her hair touched his face, this little boy was enamored. He wanted to play in her hair for the rest of the train ride. Wow! He kept t- he kept figuring out if I keep telling her I want to tell her something. Ah, he can reach then I, over yeah, yeah. and I can touch her hair. And wow. so the mom is and of course the white could be like, "Can you stop fucking manhandling me, little boy?" Mm-hmm. So finally the mom looks up on her phone. She was like, "Will you stop? Sit down. I'm so sorry." Blah 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 blah. And she's like, "Oh, it's okay." And the mom moves back to the phone. Little boy goes back to like trying to like and he, you can see it in his mind. In my oh. mind, I was like, he's. Never going to fuck a black girl. Hmm. Like he has he has completely... <laughs> he has fetishized this white woman sure. because she's different. She feels different. She looks different. And mm. she talked to him. She hmm. engaged him. Sure. Which is also what happens in elementary schools. I mean, you went to an all-black school. I went to... Yeah. I, went I went to, to all-white
1: all white high school Yeah. after going to an all-black middle school. B- which probably blew your mind. Yeah, and then an all-white college. Yeah, so yeah.
0: I went to all of my schools were public New York city public schools, but all of my teachers were white. It wasn't until the fourth grade. I had my first black teacher. Wow. And then after the fourth grade in junior high school, I had, I had some, yeah, I had mostly black teachers cause I went to a, a black school for the gifted and ta- like black and Hispanic school for gifted and talented. It was mm-hmm. for the gifted and talented, but all of the student body was black and Hispanic cause it was in Bushwick. It was no white people in Bushwick. Um, and if they did, they moved their kids to like Masbeth. <laughs> so, sure. um, when you have a white woman figure as the thing that you see every day for hmm. six, seven, eight hours a day, hmm. how does that tell you? And you have to treat them with respect, and they're, sure. and they're teaching you, so you're learning from them. Yep. It gives you a better, a, a not better, it gives you a different perspective of their value. Hmm. And so I'm watching this little boy fall in love with this white woman on hmm. train, and I wanted to look at his mom and be like, bitch, if you don't pay attention to your child. Sure. Not to say like there's nothing wrong with it but it's like if that he's never he's not going to get a lesson from that in, in, interaction. Mm. You know, he's not going to be able to, to articulate, "Mommy, why does her hair feel different than your hair?" Sure. Or, you know, "Mommy, who's that lady?" and she was so nice to me. Like he cuz he's not he's mm. going to look at that woman and look at his mom and not see the same thing.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. It was terrible. Wow.
0: I know, right? All on the A train.
1: All on the A train.
0: <laughs> Nuts. But yeah, I think I think all of that is everything that you said is very powerful about like PTSD and, you know, self-awareness and security and insecurity. And I haven't done therapy. I haven't done it. I told myself I would do therapy. Um, when I was going to get married, well, not I, I was in a position to get married. but I'm saying like, sure, when I know that I'm going to get married, I think I would do therapy.
1: I think there's never a bad time to do it. I think it's just a great I think it's just for me, the act of deciding to go was half the great thing about of of half the benefit of it. Just actively doing something to to help yourself, to help better yourself Mm. is goes is going a long way.
0: So did you feel like you completed a a good phase of it and then you stopped or Well, it was
1: interesting. Both me and my therapist started to come to the kind of same conclusion that I was doing really well and that I was kind of done with therapy for now. Oh. And so I she bought I she brought it up first. No, I think maybe I brought it we started having really boring sessions because I was just doing so well. You know what I mean? It started actually out of a crisis point, uh-huh. at least in my mind, because I was with this girl and she was another comic mm-hmm. and then she, I had, I went into it with like, she she was real clear. She was like, I just got out of something. I don't want anything serious. She had come from some really messed up situations dating with guys and she was like just having fun and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that but inside I was like, I'm a changer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a change of mind because your boy is good. She gonna see how good I am and be like, I want to lock it down. Yeah. Not what happened. Mm-hmm. Instead, she kept on her program of keeping it casual, keeping me at a distance, going out drinking with her friends. And I just get upset. I mm-hmm. was like, you're not and treating me right. And everything
0: that you internalized yes. finally came. All of this fear, like this emotion of being rejected yeah. and not welcomed and yes. a stepmom and a step... Oh, honey. Yeah. There's
1: all things that I, These are things that came out in therapy that I didn't realize mm-hmm. that I was like, in, I was projecting. Mm-hmm. So like I flipped out. I, well, first of this, I just ended things very abruptly without yeah. via text i was like that's the way to do it i was like i'm tired of how you're treating me i'm treating you so well all you, all you want to do is go out and binge drink with your friends and like meanwhile you had no time to hang out with me you know what this is done i, I don't have anything against you but we're not gonna date anymore mm-hmm. and i was still so upset and then we went to open mic together <laughs> and she started it was a few weeks later she started talking about her sex life Ooh. and i and i started connecting some dots i'm like wait was this when i was and i was, i got Furious, I became irrationally upset, but I had no reason, no, no, like because she was clear. I had no right to be upset. I had no claim to her. I had no. We had no agreement to be exclusive.
0: But you're thinking I'm a nice guy. Why can't she see the niceness in me and And respect me?
1: Flipped that. I basically in turn, I, I imploded. I had my, I did my. She was hosting. I did my set, walked off stage without shaking her hand, and then I stormed out. I did a storm out. You know when someone is obviously trying to look upset leaving a place, and they're like, "Good day, sir." Yeah. And they just like storm away. I did that, and I'm like, and then to make it matters worse, I got upstairs and I sent her unkind text messages, and that was that's when I was like, and she got really upset, and then we kind of and I apologized. I mean, I knew right away I was. This one thing I'll be I'll be wrong, but I know I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm wrong right away and feel very guilty about it. I apologized profusely. We're now friends, which is great. Um, Could
0: you were, were you able to explain to her that there was a whole bunch of other things that transpired nah, that led you to that point, or she even, just got over
1: it? I didn't even need to. It was just so obvious. I was so obvious. Sometimes you're just so obviously wrong that you just yeah. have to apologize and cop to it, and yeah. then like sincerely try to make amends for it, and that's it. And it worked out. But now we're friends and everything. But um, that kind of shook me up. I was like, wait, wait. Why did I react this way yeah. to this? We dated for like two months. Why was I so upset? There's something going on deeper. So I went to therapy, and we got into it, and it really helped. And I, I, I became like a proselytizer, like you know how Jehovah's Witnesses go yeah, door to door. Yeah. I was trying to like, I was like going door to door to my friends, like, have you tried therapy? Have you tried therapy? <laughs> have you tried Jesus? Have you tried therapy? I was, I was that person for yeah. like a good three months, because you, it's so exciting when you're discovering things about yourself. Like I had this whole thing about being excluded, mm-hmm. and that really pushes on your buttons when you do comedy because so much politics goes on. Yeah, How come this one's doing the hot show? How come this one's getting this opportunity? Is that why you
0: have 50 million of your own shows?
1: I mean, when I I started, yeah. I was like, you know what? I don't. I'm not one of these cool kids. I'm not from Chicago with that crew. <laughs> not no hate. No hate on yeah, them. Yeah, but yeah. like they just close. They could. They could take care of each yeah. other. I don't have a crew in New York. I don't have a crew. I'm just by myself. I just it's me and my buddy Leclerc. That's mm-hmm. it. And my friend Charles. That's it. That's all. All, all I really knew. So I'm like, if I want to get on stage and get quality time in front of real audiences. I know how to put to put a show on. I know how to put together people and organize events from from yeah, way back. Yeah, and
0: all of your shows are really amazing. And I'm not just saying that. Cause thank I, you. Yeah, they're and really I, good.
1: And I really put a lot of effort into them and promoting yeah. them and making sure everything looks right and feels right for the audience and like having a diverse lineup and all these things that I pay attention. So that was my way of practicing and learning how to do stand-up in front of real people because nobody was rushing to put me on. I also didn't realize when I first started that you need to ask for things. Yeah. And so now, but now I'm, and Tim Dillon taught me that. He was like, he got mad at me. I was like, uh, Tim, I'm not getting booked, man. How, come I, how can I get booked on shows? And he's like, are you asking people to do their shows? And I was like, no, I'm wait, I was waiting for them to ask me. And he's like, Asked to do spots, you idiot. What's wrong with you? He like, went on this like, Long Island rant against yeah. me. And I was like, you know what? I'm an idiot. You're right. And I was so far it, so, it was pride also. It was yeah. like, well. So I just started asking and sure enough, started to get on. It also had gotten a lot better since yeah. then. Um But but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it helped me so much to realize what that was about. And so my whole thing with not getting booked on shows or being asked to do the cool kid shows was my stepdad and stepmom always excluded me. Mm-hmm. My stepdad would do this thing where sometimes he had, uh, he had a previous um, wife and kids in Long Island, mm-hmm. so weekends he'd go out spend time with them. He'd take them to Adventureland. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'd bring me with him, and we go to and Adventureland. you dope. When you're yeah. a Little kid especially, it's like amazing. They had this gravitron thing. It was amazing. I was so it was my favorite thing to do. And then sometimes he would just not bring me. Yeah. And I was like. Why are you bringing me sometimes yeah. and not other times? Yeah. That's like cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. It's like, yo, never bring me or bring me.
0: What did your mom say? Did she try to get you to do other things? Like did I she was, say,
1: Oh, we're gonna do this this time? I would I wouldn't I was so prideful, I didn't want to say I was hurt. Oh. I didn't want to say I felt like excluded.
0: Have you said any of this to your mom now?
1: Nah, in, in a matter of, yeah, when she split up with him a little bit, I did, you know. Mm. But I just was so prideful about it, you know? And I and that so whenever I, I don't get included in something whether it's like a common thing where I can have this thing for a second and where I'm like, oh, this is just, this is happening again. Yeah. You oh, know? I'm, I'm but the same now way. I realize that. So, so I, yeah. I quickly i am like, oh, you're doing that thing, and I shut it down. Yeah. And that's what therapy helps you with, just like coping and realizing realizing your own patterns, what's going on with you and being like, in the moment being like, oh, I'm doing that thing. I'm being ridiculous. Let me chill for yeah. a second. And that's why therapy was so helpful. Yeah. And it's, it's, It got me on a trajectory that's been – wonderful ever since
0: so who bought you the do-rag
1: oh my god uh <laughs> the do-rag i
0: feel like your parents are not the type who be like oh
1: yeah we'll get you a do-rag my friend um my friend rodney would wear do-rags and i just saw the store he would go to and i just went and got one <laughs> and i put it on and it's so funny because i have like so i have a huge forehead mm-hmm. and my hairline is just naturally just way back there where my yeah. forehead starts and i I, I was never, like, my hair was never, like, the kind that would just, like, I put a do-rag on with some some products in it and get waves. Waves yeah. was the big thing. That's oh, yeah. what I was writing about. Waves was, like, oh, he got wavy hair. I know. That, it was uh, so terrible. And all the girls were, like, ooh, look at his waves. And I was, like, once I get these waves, oh, the shorties are going to notice. That's so terrible. Now, never
0: now, happened. Now the guys, <laughs> guys are walking around looking like The weekend.
1: It looks pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> it looks really, really funny. Um, I used to
0: have waves. I've shaved my head off. Tw- two or three times, mm-hmm. and I used to have some amazing ways but I definitely put some some DAX on it, on it, yep. or some new now, or some yep. heavy ass fat grease mm-hmm. pomade. Run a little bit of warm water on a brush, brush your hair down. Sure, and I didn't know it, any of this. <laughs> I was just we put, put some stuff in, in here.
1: It just didn't work. You anything. gotta
0: brush. You gotta brush it down. You gotta, as they say, you now, gotta train it. You gotta but, train your but hair. But also,
1: was hard was that I could, I had to hide hide this from my mom because my mom was very like like black respectable, like not respectability politics, but kind of like, we're not going to have any like hood behavior yeah. in this house. So no you guys are not peers, gonna be, You're not going to be dropping your G's on your words. You're going to uh, speak proper English. Is your, you mom, guys, your
0: mom still Muslim?
1: Uh, yeah. 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 Her and my dad are like, I think, I, I kind of think they're like lapsed. they like, they prac. they don't like do everything they every just day, pork, but right. they believe, yeah. so they still believe. Yeah. And they, um you know, but it's, it's funny, but she's like very strict about, Making sure we were gonna be high flying, high achievers and not mm-hmm. fall into bad bad patterns. Yeah. And so I couldn't like she wouldn't have me wearing a do rag around. No. That wasn't so going to happen. When would you, I so you sneak
0: you would, you would go. I so would, did you wear it at night or you wore it out?
1: I would try, I would wear it at night sometimes and I would like sneak out of the house and put it on afterwards. Mm-hmm. I was I was trifling. <laughs> but she did you
0: uh did you let the tail hang down or did you roll it up and tuck it into the I roll I roll it up and I like yeah. tie it around. Yeah. But
1: it it I looked ridiculous. And and it still didn't get waves. It was like it was
0: But the fact that you had it on meant that you were down with the cause.
1: I mean, I thought I was, but the kids didn't accept me still. They're still like, (laughs) why you talk white, though? Why you wearing this durag and you talk like Cliff Huxable? And I was like, "Ah, I don't know. And they beat me up. Uh... (laughs) And the girls did not take notice. No. No, they did not help me with the girls at all.
0: But the yeah. funny thing about the white woman that you posted on Facebook, we're in a do rag. She has it on the most terrible way. I know. Like they I literally, know. she literally, it's like a, like a, Powder baby blue do rag, yep. and she literally just took it out of the wrapper. Just set it on that. It. it looks more like a KKK hood it does. than it an does. actual do But that's what
1: happens when people appropriate things; they, they don't know how to do it properly. They, when people just grab things from a culture and without really researching it, they don't know how to do how to do it right and yeah. how to make it look correct. So,
0: yeah, uh, people of color out there don't don't give no tips if somebody comes to you ask you how to do something that belongs yeah. to your people, your culture. Just be like, I, I don't know how to do it. Sure, I have no idea. Be like Issa Rae on Insecure.
1: Speaking of that, so I have uh, a friend who writes for that show, and of course, my friend Langston is on that show. Mm -hmm. And I watched the watching the last episode. I had to pause it because I was laughing so hard. The, The dude, one of the dudes that she was on a date with, had that that crazy wavy like yeah. conked hair yeah i just could not stop laughing <laughs> i'm like how did they cast this dude where did they find this dude this guy this collect no he looked like fancy man the guy oh, no that,
0: that's him that was that him. it was him yeah oh i was trying to figure yeah, out Yeah, yeah he I was, was like, uh no, he was dating hair is
1: crazy
0: he's but he's half what well, i think nigerian half nigerian i guess i yeah. was like
1: what this yeah. guy looks hilarious i know It's it just funny. his hair yeah. i'm like all right
0: um, and Lang- Langston is a comedian and he plays the uh, Enterprise guy. Yes. The Enterprise guy. The
1: brother who gets kicked to the curb because he did not go to college. I, I was know. so mad. I was so mad. And I, I ran to him and he was like, everyone keeps saying that. Everybody's mad at that guy, girl. And everyone's so <laughs> mad. She gets worse, by the way. I'm like, I can't wait to watch that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now let me ask you this question. We're towards the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. What makes you a social misfit?
1: Man, I... Uh, <laughs> I do this thing. Everyone does it, I'm sure, but no one talks about it. I I will have it. I'll get it. Uh, in terms of social media, or just in general, just in in life. I mean, the misfit thing is just always gonna be there. I, I think once you, if you grow up and you don't feel like you fit into anything, that's always gonna stay with you somehow. Mm-hmm. That's always gonna make you feel like you're on the outside looking in. Even when you become like a popular person in your group, you're still like, I'm still not part of it. So I'll always have that from like growing up and being like. Kids call me Urkel or Carlton, all these mm-hmm. things growing up in, in, in my neighborhood with my family the way it was. Yeah. And um, with my mom not allowing us to do the things that everybody else is doing. Yeah. And then it's like in social media stuff is like, man, I delete a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have some bad ideas and I act on them impulsively. it's one of my issues where um, impulse control can be a problem. And man, social media does not help with that because you have instant—you have the instant ability to ruin your career, basically. Mm, yeah. You can just—I mean—I don't, I don't go to that level, but I get a little little bit too edgy with some of this. Oh stuff yeah, no, I'm you're, like, not you're, not, you're not at that level because
0: you're not—you're not at that level because you're not at that level. When you get to that level, yeah. and you think that you caught it in time and were able to delete it, and you got x amount of hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. that, and all of them screenshotted it. Oh, it's gonna, gonna be in trouble. Out
1: there.
0: <laughs> it is gonna be out there.
1: Yeah, I've had some recent ones where I'm like. I'm going to get kicked out of comedy if I don't stop. (laughs) If I don't stop, like, because especially now I've found with, like, gender stuff specifically, there's a lot of, it's it's good that people are now being more, like, aware and cognizant of how they talk about gender and how they, like, especially with guys just being sexist, Yeah, you know, because this is a thing where we we live in a racist-ass society but also a sexist-ass society. And, man, you have to check yourself sometimes with, like, am I contributing to this with what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I posted this thing the other day for, like, five minutes, and I'm like, this is messed up. And I deleted it. <laughs> so I was at a show. Um, I was at a, I was at my show. It was at Comedy Electric the other mm-hmm. night. And we had kind of a, a rough... It was packed, but we had kind of like an up-and-down audience, and there were some stone-faced women in this audience.
0: What were they responding or not responding to? I mean,
1: they were just not having it. They were not having anything from anybody. And I was I was periodically checking in. and They were just not laughing at anything. And I had some Good ass comics on this show, and there was some. They were, they were getting good, big laughs from. Them. So was
0: it was it a mixed lineup? Was it men and women?
1: Very mixed lineup. Mm-hmm. You know I me. Mean? I always have. Yeah. Like, I try to have like.
0: But like normally, if women don't respond to a woman, they respond to a man, or vice versa. They
1: were they were like three women in this audience, like sprinkled throughout, who were just not having it. Maybe
0: they were on their periods.
1: I don't know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could say that you can't say that. Uh, yeah, but they were not having it, and. Um, and then it was, and I, I noticed it was, I was kind of standing off to the side and I kind of saw everyone. I was consistently just noticing this throughout the show. And then when I got on stage to do my set, I did like 20 minutes and I was like, because other, other comics were telling me, yeah, there's a few women in there out there who were just yeah. like, no. And yeah. I, I noticed who they were talking about. So I went on, I was a little bit drunk later on. I went on, I went on Facebook trying to be funny and I was like, man, ladies, when it comes to, um, I said, when it comes to. Stone face humorless audience members, (laughs) y'all got it on lock. I said, I put stone face, stone face humorless um, female audience member over sign, Mm -hmm. stone face male audience member any day of the week. Hashtag lean in, hashtag equality. <laughs> and I was like, I thought it was funny, but then I'm looking at it later on. I'm like, this is gonna be misconceived. This is gonna be this is gonna be perceived conce- as me saying yeah. that women aren't don't have a sense of humor mm-hmm. in the audience, and then when they don't like something, they're just like you know, being bitchy about it. And I'm, I'm, and, it's and
0: also people don't know the context because no context nobody at all. knows the show that you just left. No one
1: knows what I experienced. No one knows what I saw. And uh, and people don't know me personally. Yeah. But there's people on this public. People don't know me. They don't yeah. know how I really am. So I was like, let me just take this down. Cause it, I was, I was, I was typing as I posted it. I'm like reading it a little bit later on. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get kicked out of comedy. You're going to get kicked out of comedy because you got too
0: many good shows. Everybody be like, you know, he said a bunch of crazy shit but his shows are still good. Is that why you have so many gaps on your Twitter account? You're more prolific on Facebook than Twitter.
1: Twitter, um, I, I honestly didn't mess with Twitter at all till like last year and it was only out of like people telling me I have to be on there. Yeah. So, I, when I'm trying to figure it out. I also am trying to like not kind of just give away jokes yeah. that I could use in my act mm-hmm. to like build up my time and everything. Yeah. So, I'm like, why am I putting like good stuff on here and I know people get things out of it but I'm still figuring it out I'm still yeah. figuring out what, what's the way I'm going to communicate I love that when people have a very specific voice on Twitter or social media even if I don't like, like love what they're doing I love that they have a specific thing and I don't have a, spe- I don't have a specific voice on there mm-hmm. you know like this guy Dan like, you know Dan Licata no he's um he's a pretty funny guy he's a he's a he's a white dude with a beard who lives in bushwick and is kind of alt yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's like i just described uh, i don't know hundreds uh, of people. yeah i, I, I have <laughs> described a lot of people um but he has this whole like way of speaking on there and it's yeah. so irreverent and just funny and stupid and yeah. obviously like dumb but it's his character and it's hilarious to me yeah and you have like a parma who just posts these short tight hilarious jokes and I got to figure out how I'm going to speak. I don't yeah. want to just like throw random different things Oh,
0: this past uh, year, I've been very uh, political and calling people racist. I love it. And uh, inter- interacting with trolls every once in a while. Wow. Just so I could feel alive. You I, know. Support um, <laughs> I support it. I yeah. support it. And it's interesting because I know I do. I did look at my... Especially since I started doing this podcast, I looked at my Twitter feed. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really tweet anything that's just like regular, down mm-hmm. the middle, you know, random tweets. I'm going to start doing it again because I, I just... Once I start writing them, I Mm -hmm. get into a groove and I can just schedule them and forget about them. Mm -hmm. But I do need to start doing it just because I don't want, I want to kind of push down all the crazy shit from the campaign further down my I need to get a
1: schedule together too. I I know I heard Mark Norman say he does three a day at a certain time of day. That's what he does. Three jokes a day. I need to do something like that because it is good to keep your, to keep sharp. Yeah. Because also
0: those things can lead into actual good material. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We've covered a lot.
1: We have. You feel good about this it. This really fun. Good. Yeah, this is like probably the most fun podcast I've done. Really? Yeah, I am mean, one of the most fun ones for sure. And this is definitely this is the most fun like regular length, longer podcast I've okay, done. Good. I've done like shorter ones where I'm like, oh, that was a blast, but it okay. was like twenty minutes. Okay. It was no, like ten no. minutes. But this kinda, is great. We
0: got some time on it. Um, let's rattle off all of your shows. Oh my so god. So people can come to them, oh, and then Lord. also where they can follow you on social media.
1: Okay, so I have, um I have two monthly shows that I'm really excited about. I have Comedy Electric at Franklin Electric in Crown Heights, and that is every first Friday. Uh, it was a free show and it has free drinks. Oh yes. Oh, those drinks. Magic punch surprise. Yeah. Um, Those,
0: those punches will punch
1: you out. They are punchy and they're delicious. Yeah. Um, and we give them for free to audience and we do it for the people. And, uh, the guy who owns the place is wonderful about, he's just a real patron of the arts. So that's every first Friday. You can follow us at, at electric laughs on Facebook. I mean, sorry, on, on Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm starting, I'm relaunching a month, a, um, a show called Unarmed and Dangerous with my buddy LeClerc, another very funny comedian, LeClerc mm-hmm. Andre. And that's going to be at The Lantern in um, in West Village on Bleecker Street. And that's going to be every, I think, third Wednesday. And then the first one, the, the first one is going to be on November 23rd at 8 o'clock. Nice. At The Lantern. That's going to be a free show. And we're going to have drink giveaways. And we're doing a little something called 60 Seconds of Stand-Up. Mm-hmm on all of my shows from now on where I have comics drop in and do a hot bit within one minute and it's going to gonna be peppered in throughout my shows. Nice. And it's really, really fun. Uh, so that's and, two uh,
0: shows. I know. You, do you have more? Uh, I, have, I
1: had another one that's, that's I'm not sure what's going to go on with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> so right, I don't so want to talk true. about that one. <laughs> but I do, um, you can follow me at KhalidNYC on Twitter and at says on Instagram.
0: And on Facebook.
1: And on Facebook Khalid A. Rahman.
0: Rahman. Oh, I've been saying your name wrong.
1: Khalid, Khalid Rahman.
0: Yeah. I say Rahman. 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 My dad Rahman. says
1: Rahman. We both we, we go back and forth. Okay. get Rahman. Says a Niger, yeah. Okay. Right. And then Khalid
0: Good. There you go. Thank you so much Khalid. I appreciate you coming on and hanging out. Thank you for having Uh, me. In my uh, luxurious uh podcast. I again, love it. AKA my dining room table. This is great. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of Social Mystery with Chloe Hillier. Check me out. Hilly.com, And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.